Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to the Black Codes, your podcast about history, America, Black people, and how this shit entangles itself together. I am your co-host, Donald. We're here with Savannah, our lovely host. Hi. We are once again on Zoom, hopefully with much better audio than last time, because I'm using headphones and a mic, not AirPods. Um... Yeah, the AirPods, how long have you had those? Uh, it'll be 13 months now. And you've never lost them? No. I'm so irresponsible. Like, I haven't purchased them because I'm so irresponsible. I just know that I will lose one or two and be pissed off. So I just have not even done it. I really thought that I would lose one or, like, the whole thing. And I have almost lost them, but, like, they were in my house and I almost lost them. Like, I was out, like, yo, where are my AirPods at? And it's like, oh, they're at the house. <laughs> Word. Yeah, I don't know. I have to, I just, like, lost one of my keys, like, a few months ago. I'm like, see, Savannah, you're still losing basic. <laughs> you don't need, you don't need to purchase anything. That's all because it'll disappear and you'll just be upset. So, no AirPods for this one, not yet. I think over the last few years, my propensity to lose things has gone down significantly. Um, I used to lose stuff like that a lot when I was younger. When I say younger, I mean like two years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't lose things nearly as much anymore, you know, knock on wood. I've had this, this chapstick all year. I've had this oh, chapstick God. all year. And it's probably because I don't use it enough. <laughs> is it your house chapstick? Like, See, I'm not even... like sophisticated enough to have a house chapstick and a car chapstick and a gym chapstick. So it's my only chapstick and I just leave it at the house. <laughs> That's even more impressive. I have like a chapstick in my medicine cabinet. I have chapstick on my nightstand. I have chapstick in all of my purses. Like they all, they all have their own individual chapstick. <laughs> I think that's efficient, though. Yes. I have, I, one of the things I hate the most is being outside and your lips are chapped. How yeah, awful. It's a like, terrible feeling. You have to buy another one. Yeah, not fun. And you'd be mad you spent $3 to buy another one and you have like three. Yes. I keep yeah. the deodorant so in the car me, and in the gym. Yeah, like, because I said I already lose stuff. I would do that all the time. Like, oh, I forgot my chapstick. Now I have to go and purchase another one that I'm going to lose or I'm going to leave at home again. And finally, I said enough. Enough is enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> chapsticks everywhere. Today is December 22nd in Savannah. Yes. Did you get a superpower? <laughs> um... Honestly, I'm not, I, I think I did, but it, it might be a superpower that takes some time to like showcase, you know, it's a superpower. I feel, I'm feeling a lot more energized, you know, those two planets, I think recharged me. So uh, we'll You mean see. recharged or charged? Recharged. I think that I was, you know, running on <laughs> E and it recharged me. And she I didn't get the joke, y'all. Oh, I didn't get the joke. Can you explain it to me? I was implying that you were never charged in the first place. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Oh. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> 
that's a that's a good one um so maybe I was charged yeah maybe I'll be more personable now we'll see what happens <laughs> what about you Donald did you receive any superpowers I can't say for certain yet but the last two days I have been very efficient with my day with getting through my to-do list mm -hmm. I did not, I also did not make Savannah late to record today, which pretty much <laughs> every time we've done a Zoom recording, I've made her late and she's yeah. fussed at me about it. And the last time we shot, I was salty for the first 20 minutes of it, but I wasn't really <laughs> salty at her, but I was salty that it happened. And I was just mad at myself the first 20 minutes of that last episode. Like, damn, man, you really just be going like that. Yeah, that's so funny. And because I know you, I like, I know little certain little things especially things that you know that you need to work on when they're brought up you don't like when people bring them up but i'm like all right donald this time management my guy we have to just <laughs> i'm very giving but we have to be a little bit better but you are you were you were right on time 6 30 on the dot you called so i appreciate it um but, yeah <laughs> so you know the morning i got you up were breaking I like, up did you see something um i was just starting to but i did break up um but I okay. got up, you know, got up before my alarm clock, which that's usually not a problem, actually. It's just getting through my checklist. I didn't overbook myself today with things to do. I had a little bit of free time to kind of twiddle my thumbs. And I didn't feel rushed. Like, that was the big thing. I have not felt rushed for two days in a row. And for those of you who know me personally, I be rushing all I'm the time. Good on the move always it's like I was just telling you earlier I honestly didn't think you slept or like you just sit down and I don't know maybe close your eyes but then you're up again and you're on the go and I don't know how you do it <laughs> um so if you've been able to just manage your time better the last two days that could be your superpower especially like Thursday through Saturday I was on clubhouse till like three four in the morning like three days in a row it was terrible Jesus. so monday night like Jesus. i got done working wow. and i went to bed at 10 30 and i was peacefully tired i didn't get back on the app i just was tired enough and i said i'm going to go to bed very peacefully so it was a very 180 turn <laughs> from the first the three days before the superpowers came yeah you definitely had uh have a problem with that app but <laughs> not only did we get superpowers the government is so graciously donald going to apparently give us six hundred dollars to assist with our trials and tribulations and troubles due to the covid 19 pandemic round of applause for our government for taking months and months and months to agree upon six hundred dollars for their citizens yay <laughs> that's almost enough for my rent money um, which honestly, I think this is a perfect segue into what we're going to get into. At the beginning of COVID, remember they were saying that Black people couldn't get it, like we were immune to it? I remember and that. Then, I think I actually, I, I uh, pushed that lie for like <laughs> one day. I was, I was at Ultimate Frisbee practice. It was like the second day. It was like just days before they shut us down. Mm -hmm. It was a Wednesday before the shutdown in the middle of March. And I was at Frisbee practice and one of my uh, teammates, who's actually one of my clients, he's from Singapore, and they were talking about, I'm like, oh, I'm not worried about it. Haven't you heard? People like me probably won't get it. Doom the Frisbee. 
Yeah, <laughs> that, but that was the thing a lot of people were running with. And then a few months later, it came out that not only do we get it, we're getting it at higher rates and we're dying from it. <laughs> Um, which isn't funny at all. This is an angry laugh. Um, <laughs> and where more more Black people are susceptible to catching COVID because a lot of Black people are uh, quote-unquote essential workers. They have underlying health conditions. So they're kind of just, I don't want to say breeding ground, that sounds wild, but because of some of these situations that a lot of Black people are in, it just makes them, the chances of them potentially catching COVID a lot higher, which we're going to get into this episode, continuing equity. Like, why is that? And, and in terms of healthcare on a broader scope, why are Black people um, just unhealthy? <laughs> more and and it being detrimental you know like it's fatal and no one healthcare professionals included really take us and our pain seriously this is a yeah. long-standing thing it doesn't doesn't just come about because of covid you know they talk about racism being a public health issue and COVID yeah. really shines a light on that and mm -hmm. you mentioned like not taking pain seriously and there's like research that talks literally about doctors going into med school like yeah black people and you know there was surveys and it loosely talks about them really not believing that we take pain and there's been history that shows that in history that shows that hey our health doesn't really matter in the first place and it's like oh well you know they're poor they're poor and they're over there and you know they'll be okay and if they're not okay as long as I don't know about it it's okay yeah um health care with black people and health care in America it's a very very you know interesting relationship like most of the things that we talked about um something that I wanted to specifically Two things I wanted to shout out early is one, when we did the wet nurse episode, we talked about how black women die at a higher rate. Um, like pregnancy mortality is a lot higher in black women because there's this idea that black people and black women just have a high pain tolerance. And you know, we'll, you'll see that that will come up throughout this episode several times this kind of bias that is really believed and when people are in med school it's kind of just being reinforced and then when they're working in the hospital it's being reinforced even more and so it kind of just continues and continues and continues so even today we still are struggling and dealing with the same shit um the CDC, so the second point I wanted to make was the CDC conduct, conducted a survey, a study from 1999 to 2015. It's called Vital Signs, Racial Disparities and Age-Specific Mortality. And in their introduction, there was something that I, I wanted to highlight. Um, so this is from the report. It says, social and economic conditions such as poverty contribute to gaps in health differences between black and white persons according to the report so 
you know, your so what's going on outside of your body, your social and economic conditions, the money that you have access to, the living situation you have access to, those kind of things can have an effect on your health. And the the article continues, the sentence continues within all age groups, the analysis showed that black persons had lower educational attainment and home ownership and were nearly twice, twice the rate of poverty and unemployment as white people. So black people are dealing with some things. If they can't get an education, the market for jobs is a lot lower. So the ability to own any property is a lot lower. The ability to kind of meet some of your basic needs are a lot lower. And if you are trying to provide for a family all, and you're living in a food desert, all of those stress factors are going to impact your health. One would think that it doesn't take CDC research <laughs> to realize how these things line up. Like, yeah. Why does it not just make sense that when you put people in a position and, you know, I will actually go out on the record and use the word withhold people from the ability to um, be educated, withhold people from the ability to, you know, gain wealth and just be able to make ends meet for hundreds of years and decades even into freedom. Well, health is going to be a detriment of that, you yeah. know. The stress, first of all, that comes along with these things of being able to just try to survive, uh, being in an environment where your life was constantly threatened. You know, I think that that's one thing that is under discussed is that, you know, Black people just kind of trying to survive here. There's always mm. somebody with a revolver and a switch ready to get your ass, you yeah. know, and that that's traumatic. And of course, you you don't get around doctors and, and a culture that doesn't want you here and didn't want you here for a long time, or they wanted you here. They just wanted you subservient. Yeah. Well, your healthcare didn't matter. And we talked about this before law changes faster than the culture. And if the, the culture said that you don't matter in that sense, it's a long time before people actually start taking those things seriously. And, you know, people who have white people who have, they understand, and if you don't understand, well, you should understand that your education and how that ties with your ability to, to uh, create income and assets and own a home and the stability that comes all with that increases your health. Uh, just because living in a life like that, your health becomes a higher priority in the first place. Um, you have access to be more concerned about these things about yourself. And you live in a society that was catered to you. So of course you feel comfortable going to the doctor and getting those checkups and making sure your kids get checked up with this and that. But then the food is so, so, so important. I mean, when you look at all of these disparities, if you are at the bottom of the radar or bottom of the rung, well, then you're not going to have access to good food. You're not going to have access to enough food. And if you don't have those things, you're going to fall off the side of the wagon. Yeah, exactly. Um, so thinking about this COVID shit and us talking about equity, I felt like it was only right to talk about health. And so I have a, a brief timeline, a few stops on the, the timeline of Blacks in healthcare. So obviously, naturally, we start with 
slavery. And I actually found a few very interesting articles talking about medicine men and how, you know, they were able, so Black people, Africans that were taken from Africa and brought to the U.S., came with their own traditions, their own remedies, their own ways to deal with certain illnesses and practiced, you know, those remedies practiced care, uh, not only for their fellow enslaved Blacks, for free Blacks and for white people, because white people would see that uh, some of these remedies worked. And, you know, at the time we think about the holistic health versus science. And there's all these arguments about it right now. But during the 17th, 1800s, the science really wasn't there. And seeing some of these older holistic ways to deal with things was attractive. Um, so whites went to them. The issue is if a white person died and you know, the medicine man was supposed to assist them, their family or the police would say they purposely murdered them. They purposely tried to kill them. And so they, you know, would be reprimanded, usually also killed. They would be put to death, punished to death for murdering this white person. Um, and due to this, several states and local authorities began to enact certain laws to make it illegal. And in 1748, Virginia actually does make it illegal for any Black person to prepare um, or administer medicine, period. But because it was so popular, because so many people, you know, you went to medicine men, they repealed the laws, they extended the laws, and it was constantly changing, which really shows how important and how impactful these Black medicine men were to the community, particularly in the South, which I found to be very interesting because we never, we don't really hear about that. We don't hear about medicine men really being talked about at all. Did yeah, you know right. anything about them? Uh, I'm going to say no. I, I've heard the term but not to the extent that I knew anything about it. It's one of those things where, oh, that's crossed my ears before, but I don't know anything about it. That's really interesting yeah. that, you know, they were that valuable. And it, it makes sense, but it's just interesting mm -hmm. to hear in a, in a world like that, where they were that important that like, you know, they had to keep changing laws. It's like, yo, you can't keep killing these people. Yeah. It also, I'm just tripping sometimes. And I just think about people dying, being killed over things. And it's mm -hmm. like, yo, I'm just trying to imagine like me, fucking something up and then someone deciding that I should die over it I feel yeah. like you know maybe there is some desensitization or America we're just so damn aggressive that we don't respect death as death because like yo you kill somebody like it's over yeah and, like, well, the, interesting, final. <laughs> the interesting thing was in that article it said you know if a white doctor if 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 a white patient or a black patient but specifically a white patient died at the hands of a white doctor you know, it was understood, you know, that was medicine, they can't fix anything. But if it, if they died at the hands of a black medicine man, it was, you purposely tried to murder them, you poisoned them, you did something so they would die. And now you have to be tried. Mm. So, yeah, um, not surprising that that's the reaction, obviously, but it's nasty. So you can go and you could attain their services. And if it doesn't work out for you, then, then they try to murder you. Um, so there's that. And, you know, if, if, 
if a slave was, if a person that was enslaved was unwell to the point where like there was nothing a medicine man could do or really injured, they would send them to a doctor. It is important to note that um, these, these slave masters, I hate saying that, like I hate calling them slave masters, these nasty white men that uh, were in the business of slavery did want to keep their slaves healthy because that's how they make money. So if they were injured, then they did try to correct that. Once, uh, you know, an enslaved person cannot work, they cannot provide a profit. So the owner does not care anymore. You know, that, that doesn't help him at all. So there is a desire to keep them healthy uh, so they can make as much money for their quote unquote owner as, as possible. And what this allows is, you know, you have more white doctors have access to black bodies. And if, if they're at a point, if the black person is at a point where they're not really working anymore, guess what starts happening? Guess what's allowed to start happening? Experiments. Experiments. Uh, yes. Cue the mad science music. Uh, experiments. Um, and you know, the medical field and anatomy and physiology has advanced greatly due to unethical experiments on the black body. I think one of the most important ones to note is the study of gynecology. Um, James Marion Sims is considered the father of modern gynecology. And prior to this, there wasn't a whole lot of, I should say, especially within like the European realm, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, study on the actual vagina, <laughs> like studying it was kind of looked down upon to do that. Let's make that clear that in this era, this is talking about Americans and Europeans because, yeah. you know, African civilizations, you know, various different cultures, tribes, empires had their own ways of handling a feminine health, right. you know, people in India and China and Japan and these other areas of the world, you know, they all handle these things differently. So when American gynecology came around, this isn't the first time that people decided to study vaginas. Right. No. Um, and, and yeah, so this, this guy gets into it <laughs> and it's kind of just because he now has access. He's work, he's working at a, a slave hospital, a hospital that treated enslaved people. And now he has access to all these black enslaved bodies. And actually in his autobiography, he says, there's a quote, there was never a time that I could not at any day have had a subject for operation. So when he decided to like, he was in his bag, 3 a.m., oh, I think I can do this. <laughs> he could go and have access to a body at 3 a.m. to do some, yes, yes, I, yes. I think, listener, I really want you to think about that. <laughs> like, I want you to like, like, think about what she just said. Can you read that quote again? Yes, I can. It is, there was never a time that I could not at any day have had a subject for operation. I want you to really think about what that means. Like she said, at 3 a.m., he could be in his bag and say, yo, bring somebody in here. I have an idea. And they could go and fetch somebody out of their sleep. They could fetch you out of your sleep and put you on this man's operating table 
for him to fuck around with some, you know, borderline medieval science to kind of figure some stuff out yeah. on your body that would have permanent um, scars and consequences if he messed up. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. Um, a lot of these, most, I don't think any of them really got any anesthesia. They were given a drug, but it didn't knock them out. They didn't really get anything to numb them. And this is vaginal experimentation. So there was something, I think it's called a fistula, fistula I think is how you pronounce it. Terrible Apparently name. it was really common. Apparently it was really common um, during childbirth for the bladder and the uterus, like for a rip to cause and the bladder to leak into the uterus. And so he was experimenting on how to fix that. And there were women that had gone under experimentation with no anesthesia, with no numbing cream 30 times. Like he's on the same person, on the same body part, trying to perfect this specific surgery. He is doing it over and over and over again. And to a point where it's like, I think now people look at him and, and, you know, he has statues across the country. He's, he's looked at as this person that has advanced us um, in women health. He was the, he was the director of the American Medal medical association and all these high ranking positions. And he found out a lot of shit, but he didn't do it in an ethical way. And he didn't do it to really treat these women. He did it for the sake of experimenting and just trying, you know, and figuring it out. Like they were just near, bodies for him to just do his work and that was it there was no real care given to the actual patients and children were experimented on too and that you know the gynecology wasn't the only type of experimentation that was happening I just wanted to highlight that one during slavery because it was so prominent and really almost all the things the 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 foundation of of gynecology in America is built off of this experimentation and exploitation of black women. Mm. Makes you think about this philosophical conundrum when you kind of step away from how close it is to you. Mm -hmm. uh, on one hand, you learn these very useful things, but on the other hand, the intention was in the wrong place and people were harmed in that. And yeah. it's on one hand, do we learn these things if this foul behavior never occurs that maybe is useful or is there a more ethical way that this does get found and that people consent to, or do no one, does no one consent to this and we don't have that. And, you know, there are people in this world who are going to say like, well, fuck, we should have just did it anyways. And who cares yeah. if they got hurt because we have it. And other people were like, no, 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 no. Like, you should not hurt these people. And if they're going to be a doctor, you should be treating them. And if they don't want that to happen to them, they shouldn't be forced to do that, um, whether you get the result or not. Exactly. I think that is the issue. Like, well, you know, these surgeries, these experiments had to happen so we can get to where we are today. And maybe they did, but did they need to to an extent? Should he have performed 30 surgeries on one woman without giving her anesthesia? I think, I think the intention is important. Um, and there's an ethical thing that like you can't you can't ignore. It wasn't him just trying to further medicine. Like he was, it, there was some sadism happening in that too. 
you can't, you cannot, as a someone that is claiming to be a medical professional, can think that it is wise to perform surgery that many times on on someone. But you just can't. There's no excuse for it. And you don't make quotes like that if you don't like really embrace that you have that kind of power and agency over other people's lives. Right. In a way that you're like, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so you know, that shit is going on during slavery and then the Civil War ends. And now we're, there's no more slavery, right? People's bodies aren't supposed to be as disposable. We're supposed to be treated equally. Obviously that doesn't happen. Um, we can talk about hospitals because hospitals now are becoming more, you know, hospitals and just a place to go and get checked out has been a thing for quite some time, but they're being built more and more. And, uh, you know, as the country is starting to develop, as it's becoming more metropolitan, more uh, the South is building up. So more hospitals are coming, are popping up and coming to be. You have segregated hospitals, obviously. And you know what was so nasty? One of the first things that I read was this line that ensured white women so white nurses did not have to treat or even be in the same room as black males wow that was like yeah so uh lobby interested lobbies and entrances of hospitals were segregated rooms were segregated the floors were segregated i read uh, there was a black nurse working at a hospital and the black, all the black patients, um, their hospital was the basement, was the basement of this hospital was where they were able to be treated. There weren't enough white doctors, you know, in these places. And a lot of the doctors would treat every single one of their white patients first and then treat black patients. And a lot of black patients died in that process. Mm. And <laughs> with the black hospitals, very much like the black schools, they're underfunded. The you know the facilities aren't up to par. They're they have more um, people of need, like more students with the schools than teachers. There are more patients than doctors. In 1949, there was one African American physician to th 36. <laughs> 3,681 black people. So yes, and, and especially if you're thinking about the South and rural areas, these hospitals are far out, transportation is going to be a bit shaky, a bit dodgy. And so the care that you're going to have access to is a lot less. It's not equal the way that it was supposed to be with Plessy versus Ferguson. Like if it's going to be segre segregated, it should be equal. It wasn't equal. Um, this is kind of story of our life, right? This is a little there's reminder. A pattern, there's a pattern happening. I'm wondering if you guys are following along. This <laughs> never but equal. Nothing about it was equal. 1949 <laughs> was not that long ago, people. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, and black midwives. So midwives have 
existed far before slavery in America, right? They assist mothers during pregnancy, mostly late, like the later end of the pregnancy, during childbirth and all of that. There are still tons of Black midwives that were doing this during slavery and continued on after slavery. Um, but really at the turn of the 20th century, when we get into the 1900s, science, quote unquote science, and um, just the, a more institutionalized healthcare system is looking down on midwives because they're not, they're not trained. And actually Sims, the gynecologist that I mentioned earlier, um, would downplay their expertise and their ability to even to even perform, and you would think, well, then send them to nursing school so they can be white nurse, so they can be a nurse. Since white nurses won't really, uh, you know, interact or tend to black patients, but then the white nurses, <laughs> another pattern, look down on um, black women. Like, um, no, girl, sorry, y'all had the little herb shit back door. <laughs> push, push, breathe shit. Y'all can't do what we do over here. Like you don't have the mental capacity, stay back there, girls. So black women kind of get pushed out of access to continuing in the healthcare system, because as we know, um, even white women weren't allowed to do a lot. They weren't going to medical school to become doctors. They were becoming nurses. That was kind of as good as it was going to get at that point. And so black women are kind of shut out of that completely during this time yeah you know it, it's it's weird when when you look at that like yo you just kind of dis midwives like that has been something that has happened for centuries if not millennia like millennia <laughs> millennia like midwifery is like a very ancient thing because guess what in order for you to be listening to this and for us to be talking somebody had to give birth and you know this birth chain goes back a really long time and you know, people don't just stand there and pop out babies on the regular. People get help to pop babies out. Yeah, I've never been pregnant. I've never given birth. Um, from what I hear, it's not fun. And you need some assistance. <laughs> you need someone that's gone through it. You need someone that's going to be able to talk to you and that you're going to be able to even listen to. It's vital, actually. It's, it's an important role. And we're seeing a rise of it. We talked about this on the wet nursing episode as well. We're seeing a rise in doulas and just especially with black women because we know I think we're just kind of coming to the terms that the system does not give a fuck about us um I'm very thankful and fortunate for my mother you know she's an NP so all of my like medical ailments I can go to her and if I ever have a baby I know that she's going to be with me because I'll be able to trust her but not everyone has that. And so, yeah, giving them the stiff arm is just, it's, it's wild and it's counterproductive. And it goes to like, well, damn, if you don't want us in the hospital, if you're not going to care for us, shouldn't we be able to care for ourselves? Shouldn't we be able to have access to make sure that black people can stay healthy? And that was a big NO as well. So it's like, you know, no, we're not going to work with you, but we don't want you to work with you either. Yeah. <laughs> we really um, just don't want you at all. At <laughs> all. The faster we can get rid of y'all, the better. <laughs> How about and, we just don't have kids? 
Yeah. Like that was pretty much the attitude. Honestly. I mean, I didn't bring up the sterilization that was happening in mass. That's a, that's another episode we can get into. Um, but once slavery ends, that doesn't mean the experiments are over. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Tuskegee experiment. It gets talked about a lot, but I don't know if people really, really understand the like ins and outs of what it is. People heard it. I don't know if people know what it is. So very short. Uh, in 1932, the U.S. Public Health Service conducts this study. It's called the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male. So they were trying to see how syphilis, if it went untreated, would, would affect the Negro male body. Um, they find 339 men with syphilis and 200 without, 201 without syphilis. And on the onset they think it's only going to be about a six month study which is kind of weird like I feel like that was back-end PR that they try to say because if you're trying to study untreated syphilis obviously you need more than six months but whatever um and they got these men to be a part of this study basically saying that they were going to get they were going to treat them they were going to give them free meals free physicals and free burial plots I've never had to bury, I've never had to be on the financial part of burying someone, but I know that it's not cheap. And we're talking about 1932, there are still some, a lot of these men are sharecroppers. A lot of these men don't have access to a whole lot of money. Like we said, uh, doctors, hospitals are few and far between. So if you're saying you can come here, you can get a checkup for free, you'll get something to eat and you will get a free burial plot just to be a part of this study, just to come in and touch base once in a while. It sounds like, sure, why not? Like I can do that, no big deal. The problem is <laughs> not long after this study, like 13, is that 13? Yes, the math is correct this time. Years at, later, about 1945, it is confirmed that penicillin will treat syphilis. The um, researchers conducting this study kind of bar the participants from getting treatment because they wanted to continue to go untreated. So they stop them as best as they can from getting treatment. Now, a lot of people, when you hear this for the first time, you know, people might think that, oh, they gave them syphilis. We wanna make sure that you understand the people who had syphilis during this experiment, they already had it. Yeah. Separate experiment that the US did where they did give people syphilis, this wasn't it. But yeah. uh, it did happen. It just happened somewhere else. But I just want to make sure you understand that this experiment, they already had it. They yes. just chose not to treat. Correct. So they they lied to them, <laughs> which is why it was is unethical. And then especially in 1945, when they get to the point where it's like, okay, we know that this treats syphilis, they actively chose to um, not allow these men to get treatment. And, you know, there are black healthcare professionals, there are black people working at Tuskegee Institute, which is today the Tuskegee University, working through this program. There are other people that come in to work through this program and they're raising questions. They have concerns. How ethical is this? Should this study continue? And during the 60s, the CDC, which is a part of the public health service, defends the study saying, no, we have to, 
we have to conduct this study till everyone is dead so we can autopsy all bodies and learn X, Y, and Z. Um, and they refuse to stop the study. And this is after multiple people have written letters kind of pleading for it to stop because it's unethical. And they don't. Um, so in 1972, Peter Buxton, he actually leaks what is happening with the Tuskegee experiment to the Associated Press. And that puts an immediate stop, an immediate end to the Tuskegee experiment. So it starts in 1932 and it's not until 1972 that it ends, a 40 year experiment. And by the end of it, I think only about 70 of the men were still alive um, once this survey, once this study ends. And not very long after, only two years, like if you know anything about lawsuits, they take a while. It takes them two years <laughs> to settle with the participants and they give them a whopping $10 million. Now this is for, this is for everyone involved, right? So any living syphilitic, is that how you say that word? Sounds like it. A participant received $37,000, 37500 37000 why can't I say that? Come on, math. $37,500, yes. Okay, there we go. Um, any heirs to a deceased participant received $15,000. Uh, the control group, so the men that didn't have uh, syphilis risk that were a part of this experiment received $16,000, their heirs received $5,000, and infected wives, ex-wives, widows, and children received lifetime medical and health benefits. And it's believed that roughly 40 of the participants' wives were infected and at least 19 children were born with syphilis um, because they chose to not treat these men. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm positive that those numbers are higher uh, because for, I'm just sure that those numbers are higher, but th that's the numbers that I found. Um, and the last, uh, the last participant to survive was Ernest Hendon and he passed away at 96 in 2004. He still has, you know, people, the men that were a part of this experiment still have offspring, children, grandchildren. I think it said there's 11 direct offspring that are still receiving benefits. The last wife, I think, died in 2014. Um, this isn't that long ago. Like, this is literally a hop. <laughs> like, our grandparents, you know, could have easily been one, like our granddad, honestly. It's disgusting. Yeah. And it brings you back again to this point of, wow, we would like to know what happens with these viruses and bacterial infections when they live out their lifetime. Yeah. But on the other hand, you need to find people who just like, yo, I want to do that. Like, hey, I yeah. want to dedicate my life to that thing. And of course, that's not easy to find. But you don't just lie to people. And like, we only get to live once. And, yeah. you know, we talk about equity and these things that go on. And like, we, we really want to stress to y'all, people only get to live once to the best that we know. And when you are doing things to manipulate their quality of life in a way that ruins it, 
for even if it's five minutes, let alone 40 years, mm-hmm. like you're taking somebody's livelihood away. Yeah. Yes, it's science and yes, we need it, but you're taking somebody's livelihood away. Like that's somebody who could have, you know, some of those men did not have families that could have went on to have a family, but they couldn't because they never got treated. So yeah. they went the next 40 years or so. Plus, not they, some of them could have been in their 20s, never had a family yet. They could have spent the rest of their life never having a family and being able to contribute to the world in that way. And, you know, people like, like people are wired to generally want that kind of thing. And they're taking that away from them. Yeah, they're taking away their autonomy. They're taking away their ability to choose. I mean, I am almost certain that, yeah, they could have found some people that were willing to let, that were willing to ride the wave if they would have been properly compensated. But you didn't, that, that's, that's always been the issue. You don't want to have to compensate people and you don't want to have to follow any real laws or guidelines or you could have done this with a bunch of white people. Yeah, there's people out there that if you cut them a big enough check, they'll do that experiment. Yeah, and some of these men probably would have okayed being untreated had they known and would have been properly compensated. But you say, oh, we'll give you, we'll give you lunch. <laughs> we'll give you a <laughs> we'll little, give you, uh, lunchable. Yeah, we'll give you a little plot for your body to go into once you waste away from this disease that we're not gonna like help treat you at all with. It's like giving people scraps and expecting so much. You're you're you want someone's life, you want someone's body, and you're giving them mere scraps. How about you trade me your life for this bag of Doritos? (laughs) It's, It's nasty. Um, and so today kind of where we're at we talked about the pregnancy mortality rate a few times but because obviously that's healthcare, I brought it up again um something really disturbing like black women over the age of 30 are four to five times more likely to experience a pregnancy related death than a white woman and black women with at least a college degree are 5.2 times higher which I found really astonishing. I think I talked about listening to this episode of this interview on NPR and uh, they were talking about this woman who I think she worked for the government. She may have been in the military. She was really educated. She was, I think in her late thirties or maybe early forties and she wanted to have a child and she did. And she died during childbirth. Um, This is a highly educated woman and you hear stories about that all the time. And so the CDC conducted this study from 2007 to 2016. And they found that per 100 live births, 41.7 black women were dying during childbirth or during pregnancy. Um, Well, childbirth or after, I should say because it's a live birth. There are a lot of women that die during pregnancy that don't even make it to childbirth as well. But this specific study was for live births. Um, American Indian women, about 28.3, Asian and Pacific Islander, 13.8, white women, 13.4, and Hispanic women, 11.6. Almost 42 women dying um, is crazy to me in 2020. Like you think that 
we would really have that under control. Uh, and the CDC offered um, <laughs> offered two points of advice in, in order to curb, maybe curb some of this. And it was to for hospitals and providers to implement standardized protocols and to address implicit bias. When you say implement standardized protocols, yes. when I hear those three words, it sounds like do your job. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and address implicit bias. So basically, like, you might think what you think, but you can't put that on your patients. And and what we've talked about several times is this idea that Black women and Black people really don't feel pain. And so Black women are complaining, you know, they have issues, they don't feel right, there's something going on, and their provider's not listening to them. And when they find out it's too late, I read this really unfortunate story on Facebook a year and some change ago, this girl that I kind of grew up with um, wrote this really long post about, you know, she had been having issues during her pregnancy. She thought she had preeclampsia. Like she just knew that there was something wrong. She talked to her doctors. They didn't listen to her. They didn't believe her. She ended up going into child uh, labor early, gives birth and her baby was dead. And that could have been avoided had they listened to her and really taken some of her, you know, concerns and complaints seriously. And that's not an isolated story. It happens so often. Sorry, I just had like one of those visual moments where like you put yourself in another situation. And I'm like imagining being in there and imagining basically assaulting the doctor and like <laughs> making it a really bad situation. I, I remember there was a story I read on Facebook. Uh, all right, I'm going to do this and then get off the sad train right now. Okay. There was a story I read on Facebook about, and this man had posted about his wife giving birth and his wife dying, giving birth. And they were like consistently telling the doctor that something was wrong, that she wanted, and then she also, on the other hand, she went in some pain medicine and they were refusing her requests and she ended up dying and like... I don't remember if he tried to sue the hospital or not or how that worked out, but that, that story just stood out to me because like it was just very heart wrenching. And, you know, there's these things that I see online where, you know, and especially in black with black women sharing it to each other about like if your doctor and this is something that you can write down, uh, everybody listening, if your doctor refuses you care or like medicine and you're requesting something that you request that that gets put on the record that they refused it so that if it comes back up, they can get called on that. Because apparently, I don't know the ins and outs of this, and you, maybe you do a lot better than me, um, that like if you request something, that needs to go on the record if they say no. Yeah. I don't really know anything about that either. This, You know what? Maybe we should talk to my mom. <laughs> yes. She knows yes, way more should. about <laughs> She knows way more about this. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and it's kind of like, why is that even a question? If someone is asking for something or requesting something and you say, as a professional, you know, being a doctor, I think that you don't need that form of treatment. I think that this would be better. All of that should be documented. All oh yeah, for sure. Um, and that might be on us. Unfortunately, it's not our job, but us to just be better at, at record keeping because they will also try to throw us under the bus as soon as possible. Um, 
So, yeah. And, you know, one of the other things that I'm sure we all know, an older person, an older, an older man in particular that refused to go to the doctor and then it unfortunately was fatal Mm -hmm. or by the time they got to the doctor, it was fatal. I know, I know my grandmother's brother, uh, my uncle, I call him my uncle. He never went to the doctor. He was actually pretty healthy and in shape. Um, he worked out and like lifted weights up, up until he got sick. I think he was in his fifties and he, I don't know what happened. I think I was in high school. I maybe maybe I was in college. I don't remember really what happened. Like, I don't know if he passed out or something, but by the time he got to the doctor, he had severe kidney failure. He had to immediately go on dialysis. And within a few years, he had lost so much weight and then passed away because by the time they found it, his kidney was like completely shot. If he would have felt more comfortable, more confident going to the doctor, it probably wouldn't have taken him so long to say, hey, I think there might be something going on. Let's see what's up. And if the doctors listened to him, they could have figured it out, I'm sure. And he might still be here. Yeah, you you find a lot of older Black people, not even older, Black people in general who don't want to go to the hospital. They want to see the doctor. You see this coming up with COVID, you know, especially with the way that information now travels on social media, true or false, to where, you know, people are skeptical of, you know, going to the, see the doctor about COVID or vaccines in general, with, especially when it comes to COVID and the whole healthcare industry. These things have long existed, but now they're very prevalent to us. We can see that and it's, you know, very present right now. And, and you can see that just literally looking around, like you get um, fucking Dr. Fauci pandering to black people like, yeah, you know, there's this black woman that like was pioneering the vaccine. And then like people on Twitter, black Twitter pulled her card. And she's one of those black people that has a whole lot of negative things to say about black people and that married a white man while she yeah. did all that. And was, they were like, oh, this is complete pandering. Like you picked the wrong black woman to kind of do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, people are going to these efforts to try to recruit Black Americans trust in the healthcare industry here. And it's not to say that at its best, our healthcare is bad, because I don't think so. But there's a sliding scale of quality of service here. Absolutely. And access to access to real healthcare um, is an issue. I mean, it is an American issue overall. Like we're talking about healthcare with at the top of the episode, this raggedy six hundred dollars they're giving us, and granted, that's the government. The government, you know, this healthcare thing is being fought in the government all the time. There are people in the government, people that y'all have fucking voted for, that don't want y'all to have healthcare. Like <laughs> you're voting for people that are directly going against your basic needs and your basic rights, and it's gross, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, and just one thing that I kind of wanted to wrap up is, so there is a high, the high mortality rate that I found in, in with Black women and, and even with COVID are like pre-existing conditions. And a lot of it is like hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, things like that. So next episode, we're going to get into those diseases, why they're even so high in our community. We're going to talk food. We're going to talk activity. Um, Donald really just fucked me up because he pulled out a pick and started 
<laughs> combing his beard. And this pick is weirdly shaped. Like, why are the picks so long? <laughs> no, I fuck with the Black Panther thing, the or the Black this. But the metal picks are mad long. Like... <laughs> They're longer than your face. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, But yeah, guys, that was the episode. I just wanted to do a quick tour on Blacks in the healthcare system and just some some of the reasons why we have such distrust. Like, it doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over generations and decades and centuries, honestly, of mistreatment you know, abuse of experimentation, of not being listened to, of lies being perpetrated. And we're where we're at today, where we even like talking about the COVID shit, you can talk to a range of Black people and they have all these conspiracy theories to say about the vaccine, about COVID. And it's really frustrating to listen to, but if you think about grand scale of Black people and their just relationships, with healthcare, it's understandable to be so skeptical, to be like, you know, I don't believe these white people. I don't believe what they're saying to me. When have they ever actually, in terms of healthcare specifically, tried to actually help us? You know, they haven't, honestly. So <laughs> the other day I was in one of those clubhouse chats and there was this guy, have you ever heard of Riza Islam? No. Oh, uh, um, well, he's one of the, uh, um, he's in like that nation of Islam with, with uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan. And so he's like, I didn't, I never really listened to the guy, but he's actually pretty intelligent just as a human being. And like, it was interesting hearing him, you know, talk about the efficacy of medicine and modern medicine. You know, they actually in the nation of Islam made, they made a recommendation that y'all should wear masks, not because like the American government said you should wear masks, but like, nigga, that's how this health germ spread. <laughs> like airborne germ spread, you just wear a mask. But like, on the other hand, he brought up that point very, very strongly, consistently about how, when has this system ever worked for you in a way to where you should just feel that comfortable trusting it? And, you know, there are people like that are in that camp. I mean, they're, they're, they're preaching that. And I mean, to to the big extent, I, I agree. And it's like, people are so confused that people, you know, are, are doubting and being, and being questioning. And it's like, yo, you got to look at the history. There's some really smart people that I went to school with who, you know, they are really smart. They know a lot of these things, they understand stuff, but, and, but they're confused. Like, why aren't people on board with this? Why are people so doubtful? And it's like, yo, just because you get how this thing works at a medical level, does not mean that at a political and social level, things get administered in a way that is actually fair. You think so because you understand the science, but you don't understand the administration. Yeah. And the administration is what makes everything unequal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And until we start to fix these things, there, this distrust is going to continue. And if we're talking about equity, if we're talking about equality, People can't be equal if they don't have equal access to healthcare. How can you be equal if you can't equally take care of your body? If you can't take care of your physical well-being, like it's just not going to happen. So we're going to talk about this bullshit food they be sending to the hood uh, grocery stores, high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> Why everyone and their mom literally has diabetes and shit, and and how some of those 
diseases do take such a toll on the body because they're so unnatural, but they're also mm. so easily avoidable. Um, and how they kind of keep us down and keep us unhealthy. And you being just within the health world, I mean, you're a coach, you're, you're, work is about the body and its health and and it being stronger and it performing at its maximum capacity so i'm interested and i feel like you're gonna have a lot of hot spicy takes next week because uh, yes. of that. <laughs> our current hot spicy take right now is making sure that there is equality on both sides of my face with this beard that i have acquired <laughs> he is really going to town on this i don't know do you have like a date after this or um, i don't have a date but i am helping somebody move a couch and tonight uh, huh tonight yeah like right after this oh uh well she got it like hours ago but i was busy and i'm not just about to be up at somebody's beck and call to go move a couch so i told her right. when i'm done with this um well, so don't i have to let me keep you huh <laughs> i said well don't let me keep you <laughs> well look look as i'm getting older like my facial hair i don't know this beard i've let my beard grow long like for longer periods of time but this is the longest it's actually decided it would grow i had food stuck in it earlier and i was proud of myself like wow got food stuck in my beard but then i was like damn i gotta wash my beard out <laughs> Well, until I wash my beard out, we will catch you on the next episode of the Black Codes Podcast. So make sure you like, subscribe, and share this with a friend. Tell us what you got out of this. You know, if you have any stories that you would like to share with us, uh, with you being at the hospital, dealing with doctors and nurses, please shoot us an email, theblackcodespodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at theblackcodespodcast. So we want, and on Twitter, theblackcodes too. No, we haven't changed yeah. it yet. So um, you can find us on there. Uh, we want to hear from you. Otherwise, we will catch you on the next episode. Bye.